He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 19, A Vote for Justice. As long as Superman focused on being where he was needed, it became evident that it was only a very vocal minority of people that no longer trusted him or the Justice League. He was welcomed wherever he arrived, especially in places less touched by the onslaught of mass media. Even so, there didn't seem to be a city in the world that was bereft of his critics. In these places, his presence inevitably inspired one or more spectators to curse and throw objects at him. These attacks always seemed to echo Lex Luthor's words. Lex had taken the rhetoric from the Justice League's disastrous press conference and focused his campaign around what he called the alien question. How many Kryptonians are there just waiting to reveal themselves and conquer Earth? Luthor's presidential rallies were a unique platform for Lex to get his message out. Are we going to let a group of vigilantes protect us? Not if Lex Luthor has anything to say about it. I will solve the vigilante problem and I will answer the alien question. The answer is no. This kind of talk drove Luther's crowd wild. A fervor was growing that Lex had masterful control of. How dare they call themselves the Justice League. Do you want to see justice? I will deliver it. A vote for Lex Luthor is a vote for justice. This slogan became plastered everywhere throughout the country, especially in Metropolis. Clark could not escape it, just like Superman could not escape the press, desperate to ask him questions about the election. Their questions seemed unfair to Clark. They were all out of context and phrased in confusing ways. He frowned and furrowed his brow and struggled to find the appropriate words. Yet no matter what he said, his meaning seemed misconstrued. It frustrated him to no end. Lois was no less bothered by the aftermath of the Justice League's press conference. Somehow, Instead of concern for her being attacked, the forming narrative was asking why it was that Lois Lane served as a mouthpiece for Superman. Some media pundits suggested that it was her own fault and that she brought the attack on herself by interfering where she didn't belong. Lois and Clark finally had the opportunity to discuss it over lunch sitting in their favorite booth at their usual diner. Lois had become flummoxed by it all. How do you deal with this kind of public scrutiny? If I knew that, I don't think I would have done this to myself. Oh, don't be absurd. You didn't do it to yourself. Lex manipulated all of it to happen and you know it. But I mean, how do you stay so calm and composed when you're constantly being hated on? Yikes. When you put it like that, I feel like maybe I should be more worried. Well, maybe you should be. Clark sat back a moment to consider what Lois was suggesting. Well, I don't know. I don't really think it's hate. At least not for me. They don't even really know me. How could they possibly hate me? You are so lame, Clark Kent. You should be called Super Lame Man. Clark got a good chuckle from Lois's joke, though it stung a bit. What she saw as him being stoic was just him being afraid to act in any way at all, 
It seemed like whatever he said, it came back to bite him. And yet, when he said nothing at all, it turned out no different. The gun-toting vigilante calling himself Peacemaker made a rare appearance in Metropolis that very same week. He was tracking down a ring of bank robbers, yet they were tipped off that he was coming after them. His investigation suddenly became a very public standoff. Superman was nearly late when he arrived, having just rescued a sinking ship halfway around the world. Peacemaker was making his move and had already executed several gang members. It took only seconds for Superman to disarm them all, destroying every gun, including Peacemaker's. Arresting the international vigilante turned out to be a fiasco of its own. He claimed he had some kind of diplomatic immunity. But Argus arrived and took over for the Metropolis police. Just as Superman was about to take off, the press gathered around him to make accusations about his alien status and ask why he thought he had jurisdiction over Peacemaker. Clark opened his mouth as if to speak, but found no satisfactory words. Instead, he furrowed his brow, shut his mouth, and only managed a mild frown in response before flying away. Clark didn't think much of the event, but his arrest of Peacemaker would become a centerpiece of the presidential election. Lex Luthor did not let the subject die in his press appearances. Yes, Peacemaker is a foreign vigilante, but at least we know he's from Earth. And what does Superman say when you ask him, how do you have any right? Well, he says nothing at all. It doesn't seem right to me that Superman doesn't feel accountable to anyone. I plan to put an end to that. Luther's sentiment was growing in popularity. Every media outlet in the country was obsessed with Lex, whether they agreed with him or not. Thankfully, there was a limit to Luther's sway. Most people still believed in the Justice League. With the constant barrage of negative news, even Clark had forgotten this. He was pleasantly reminded of it one evening when he came home to his apartment to check his mailbox. A postcard was waiting for him from Lana. Hey Clark, I hope you're doing all right. I've been seeing you on the news. I would just about die of embarrassment if it were me. You are so brave, and I just want to remind you that a lot of us are still rooting for you. Love, Lana. P.S. If you can, try to smile more. I would love to see your smile. Clark couldn't stop grinning after he read her postcard. But his moment of bliss was interrupted by a sudden telepathic call from Jean Jones. Colonel Trevor had been in contact. Argus was enthusiastic to start working with the Justice League and wanted to meet with them immediately. The following afternoon, the Justice League assembled an expanded team on short notice to hear out Steve Trevor. He arrived at the Hall of Justice along with his personal assistant. She was a plump little woman with the sweetest smile. Clark couldn't recall where he recognized her from until she spoke. Hello, Mr. Superman, sir. It's an honor to work with you again. I don't know if you happen to remember me. Clark did remember. A smile swept across his face. You helped me program my GPS back when I had to find a submarine for the White House. The woman blushed, gently fanning off her face with one hand. Oh goodness, Mr. Superman, sir. I hope I can be of just as much help, sir. Remind me your name, miss? Miss Candy, Etta Candy. Thank you, Miss Candy. Despite Etta's enthusiasm, Steve Trevor's report was far more somber. The situation in Kaznia was getting worse for the civilians there and Argus wanted the League to help evacuate the refugees. Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow, was reluctant. So, are we going in as patsies? Clark thought this may be going too far, but echoed Oliver's concern. Why us, though? Steve Trevor showed his sparkling, congenial smile. I'm so glad you asked. As you may already be familiar, the Kasnian Civil War has become uniquely superhuman. 
We want the Justice League to help us get the refugees out. Simultaneously, you all are already endowed with the abilities you need to defend yourselves, should you be met with enhanced soldiers. Meeting at the Hall of Justice in the middle of the night and receiving a dossier on a foreign power felt somewhat shady to Clark. Yet the members of the Justice League weren't the type to deny a call for help. Clark was a little ashamed of himself for questioning the mission. The media onslaught had frazzled his nerves. By the end of the meeting, Trevor's explanation proved sufficient for everyone gathered there that night. Their team to Casnia was composed of all of the Starling City members, Black Canary, Green Arrow, Red Arrow, and Nightwing, along with the Flash, the Atom, and several of the heroes with the ability to fly, Superman, Black Lightning, Green Lantern, and the Martian Manhunter. They all flew to Casnia together in the Javelin 17. Despite Clark's foreboding concerns, their mission went smoothly. A ground team kept the collective of refugees protected, while those capable of it flew each of the families out, carrying them while they rode inside of their own cars or inside of buses when needed. When the last of them were dropped off at the camp that Argus had arranged for the refugees, the press, once again, was waiting to talk to the heroes. Superman dreaded the coming questions. The rest of the Justice League members rushed aboard the Javelin 17 before they were surrounded, but Clark had learned from experience that avoiding the press only made matters worse. He decided he would take just one question and make the most of it. Superman, do you at all agree with Lex Luthor? Are you overstepping your bounds? Clark closed his eyes and took a deep breath as he considered how to answer this question. Finally, opening his eyes, he looked directly into the nearest camera. Remembering what Lana had said in her postcard, Clark smiled. I'm just glad to help the people here today, when they needed us. More questions poured in, but Superman gave one last wave, smiled, and turned around to board the Javelin 17. On the flight home, the Flash joked with the others. So, anyone voting for Luther this week? Green Arrow chuckled. Yeah, right. He'll have us all locked up in no time. Canary scoffed. It's hardly a joking matter. Thankfully, he's behind in the polls. Black Lightning assured her to little effect. Canary dwelled on the matter. But yikes, could you imagine? Red Arrow laughed to himself. Can you imagine the absolute tantrum he's going to have when he loses? It's going to be amazing. Clark was glad to hear Red Arrow's perspective. Though as he went on, Nightwing became agitated. Roy, the Red Arrow, managed to make his taunting a little too personal. He'll probably run for president in some tiny country to compensate, like Batman getting another Robin. Hey, cut it out. What? He totally replaced you like a puppy. I said quit it. Nightwing lightly jabbed his elbow at Red Arrow sitting next to him. Besides, he's got Batgirl on full time now. So on the record, it took him two people to replace me. This was all news to Clark. Excuse me, what? Did you say Batgirl? Oh yeah, she's been a part-time apprentice for a while now. Kinda low-key. She wormed her way into the whole operation, but she's cool. Roy chuckled. Oh, so she's just cool now. Okay. Shut up, Roy. The two of them continued ribbing at each other for the rest of the flight, but Clark became lost in thought and missed all of their finest jests. It was good to know that Bruce wasn't so alone these days. It had been many months since they last spoke. Clark still couldn't bring himself to reach out. While visiting home in Smallville for casserole dinner, Martha offered some perspective. You know, Clark, nothing feels so isolating than carrying a burden by yourself. There's nothing wrong with asking Bruce for help. Thanks, Ma, but I don't think there's anything even Batman could do about this. Clark could hardly wait for the election to pass. He hoped Black Lightning was correct about Luther being behind in the polls. Later that week, 
With only a couple of days before the election, as Clark's workday at the Daily Planet was coming to an end, a large explosion echoing through the downtown area got his attention. Bounding to the rooftop, he transformed into Superman. A column of smoke rose into the air in the distance, marking the site of the explosion. At the scene, Superman found that a shipping truck containing some kind of fuel had exploded in the midst of after-work traffic. He began whisking survivors out of the wreckage but became distracted in the process by a vision both horrific and uncanny. Up the road ahead of him was the apparent cause of the accident. Dressed in a blue supersuit, with red shorts, boots, and a cape, was the appearance of himself, only malformed in the face and with the letter Z in the place of his own S. While standing in disbelief, it was by chance that Jean Jones contacted him telepathically at that moment. Kalel, the Red Arrow needs your help in Starling City. Immediately. It's Prometheus. But this was a moment Clark could not spare. Surrounding the bizarre incarnation of himself was a maelstrom of wrecked vehicles and victims. Clark responded to Martian Manhunter. I'm sorry, Jean. I... I don't know what I'm facing here, but it appears to be another Superman. If anything, I might be the one needing help. But Clark did not want anyone to come to his rescue. He was afraid for his friends should they come to face this danger. This was a problem only he could meet. Taking it head on, Superman charged the abomination before him. He had to get it out of the city before anyone else got hurt. Yet his deformed duplicate had the same instinct and charged Superman at the moment he saw him coming. They collided with air-shattering force, breaking out every window around them. Clark's movements were mirrored as the two of them became entwined in a hand-to-hand -hand grapple. His own face looked back at himself, twisted and deformed, and spoke with an equally deformed voice. Why you stop me from saving everyone? This was not the conversation Clark expected. Saving everyone? You're killing people. The mutilated duplicate seemed to think over Clark's words before answering. Only way to save them! With no other warning, the imposter headbutted Superman, driving him deep into the street below. Leaning forward, the deformed Superman peered into the dark chasm he had made in the underground. Spitting into it, he proclaimed, Bizarro him the real Superman now! Ugly Superman dead. Clark was only biding his time. As Bizarro looked away from the hole, Superman burst skyward, grabbing him as he passed by. They shot above the city's skyline, but as they rose up, Clark could feel a growing resistance. Bizarro was pulling downward, just a bit at a time, until his force perfectly matched Superman's. They came to a draw. Instead of trying to fly him any higher, Clark whipped his duplicate around him. He did this over and over with great speed. Yet just as Superman released Bizarro in effort to launch him out to sea, Bizarro grabbed hold of Superman and twisted all of his momentum to throw Clark into one of the buildings below. Smashing through after him, Bizarro kept punching Clark diagonally through the building. Each punch landed with more force and pain than Clark could fathom. His own strength coming down on him was beyond his comprehension. Breaking free of the building, Clark tried to fly skyward. In his delirium, he hoped he could lure his duplicate away from the city to follow. But he was caught by his ankle and hurled downward to smash into the parked cars below. It soon became clear that this monster's objective was the exact opposite of Clark's. Bizarro wanted to keep them in Metropolis for maximum destruction. They repeated a futile cycle of rising out of the city and smashing back into it, until Clark finally broke free of the sound barrier, along with his tormentor. Superman shot skyward with Bizarro in pursuit, 
Flying southward, he led them away from all life, to the middle of the Antarctic. Clark touched down softly, while his malformed doppelganger explosively crashed into the frozen ground. Emerging slowly from the steaming crater, Bizarro assessed Superman with the skittishness of a wild animal in an unfamiliar place. Clark had many questions. Who are you? And where do you come from? The creature bolstered his chest out and proudly declared, I am Superman. I, Bizarro Superman. Me from Metropolis. None of this began to answer any of Clark's questions. He tried again. Why are you here? I hear because I chase you here. No, why are you chasing me? Why did you come to Metropolis? Me come to Metropolis to protect Metropolis. Protect Metropolis from ugly Superman. You can't protect people by killing them. Me do both at same time. Bizarro looked around and gestured at the barren landscape. What part Metropolis this? I led you out of Metropolis, so you wouldn't hurt anyone. This no Metropolis? Of course not. Ah, Bizarro Superman must go save day. With a crack of thunder, he took off. He was intent on flying back toward civilization. This time, Superman was the one in close pursuit. It was soon obvious to Clark that Bizarro was unable to find his way back to Metropolis. Instead, Bizarro descended upon the first coastal city he saw in Australia. While he still remained miles from the coast, Superman blasted a fiery red beam of energy from his eyes, hitting Bizarro unseen from behind with such force that he fell from the sky and into the sea. Clark peered into the watery depths for his foe, yet he had little experience using his supervision to look through so much water. What little light passed through was distorted by its currents. Superman, straining to see Bizarro, noticed a faint light below him. It quickly increased in size and luminosity, until, with seismic power, a rush of water and heat geysered upward, hitting Superman full force. Only at the upper reaches of the atmosphere did the blast dissipate enough for Clark to gather his bearings. Bizarro had not followed. Looking down from the top of the sky, Superman saw that Bizarro had instead continued to the city nearby. Like a bolt of lightning, Superman shot down from above. The impact of entering the lower atmosphere unleashed a rumbling boom, warning the monster of Superman's approach. Turning skyward, Bizarro opened his mouth, and like a fire-breathing dragon, he appeared to exhale a flame of pure, raging energy. This was a new power Clark had never seen before. All at once, the realization dawned on him that Bizarro was learning his powers as he was demonstrating them. Bizarro had not seen Clark's heat vision. He had only felt its impact. To duplicate its power, Bizarro had improvised, projecting energy from his mouth rather than his eyes. Clark was perplexed. What was this thing? By the barest margin, Superman managed to reel into a barrel roll, evading Bizarro's blast. But the beam of heat followed after him, tearing down massive chunks of nearby buildings. Maneuvering around Bizarro's attack, Superman caught him around the waist and pummeled him into the ground with such force that he drove the two of them burrowing into the earth. Clark hoped that whatever earthquakes they might cause would be less damage than allowing Bizarro to continue destroying the city around him. Superman dragged Bizarro for miles through the earth. Breaking through the surface, they found themselves in a great desert. As they jetted skyward, Bizarro shook himself free of Superman and again unleashed a raging fire from his mouth toward his sworn enemy. This time, Clark deflected the blast with the rays of his own heat vision. All the while, Superman moved closer to Bizarro until all that stood in between them was the intense heat of their projected energy combined. 
as they were only inches away from one another. It was Clark who headbutted Bizarro, but not into the ground. He only hit the creature enough to disorient him and grab him from behind. Superman restrained Bizarro by holding both of his arms behind his back, yet Bizarro would not relent with his fiery breath. Superman fought to keep the monster's beam of destruction aimed skyward, but Bizarro contorted himself until he faced the earth, raining a column of pure plasma onto the desert floor below. Clark knew this landscape only appeared barren, and that the blast took a great toll on the diverse life there, but he was unable to redirect Bizarro. Beneath them, the rocky ground began to glow and melt into magma. Bizarro was content to cook the earth into oblivion. There seemed to be no limit to his ability to do so. A feeling of dread began to overtake Clark. Had he met the outer reaches of his powers? Were they not enough when met by his own powers matched, intent on destroying everything? Clark needed to make one last effort to save the world. He struggled to decide what that effort would be when a ringing sound broke out all around them. From inside the base of Bizarro's torrential blast, where his beam of energy touched down onto the earth, a golden sphere of light emerged. Charging forth from the sphere, directly into the beam, clad in radiant armor, emerged Wonder Woman in all of her ferocious glory. She rocketed toward them, unhindered, pushing back on Bizarro's fire. As she hurled toward him, the rage in her face frightened Clark like little else could. Conversely, it stirred a new fervency in Bizarro. He desperately wanted to take on Diana. Superman's grip on his rabid clone began to slip. At the very last moment, he let go of Bizarro, attempting to escape the brunt force of Wonder Woman's attack. Clark was not fast enough in his effort. He was thrown by the shockwave of Wonder Woman breaking through and returning the power of Bizarro's own beam back on him. She pushed the crimson energy he emitted into a sphere surrounding him. The sphere inverted into a golden light, like a small sun. When it dissipated, only Diana remained. Bizarro was no more, but the pain and anguish he would cause Clark had only just begun. With her enemies slain, Wonder Woman flew up and greeted Superman. It seems your world has fallen out of balance once again, Kal-El. Clark sought for words to respond, but instead he remembered he was still needed in Starling City. Blurting out his thanks to Diana, he left at once. Clark raced across the ocean in the hope there was still time to assist Roy. While he flew, he reached out telepathically to Jean Jones. Jean, I'm on my way. Where is Prometheus now? Jean Jones answered. We have managed to capture him. Clark sighed with relief, but Martian Manhunter went on. Though not without casualties, Roy has been badly hurt. He lost an arm. Clark's head sank with this news. Oh no. Is there anything I can do? Unfortunately, there is nothing any of us can do at this moment. Clark came to a stop, hovering above the ocean with no land in sight. How is Metropolis? Nearly a hundred lives lost. How Jordan is there now, helping clean the wreckage. But the situation is under control. Were you able to stop the other Superman? This death toll was more than Clark could accept. He strained to answer the question. I... I wasn't. Wonder Woman did, though. He's dead now. Superman could feel Jean Jones' sense of relief, but the Martian Manhunter still had many questions. Who was he? Where did he come from? Clark had no answer. Grief overcame him as he began to weep. Unbeckoned tears rolled down his face and fell into the water below. The pit in Clark's heart consumed his whole world, 
yet the salt of his tears was insignificant compared to the sea they fell into. There was little time for grief. Superman turned around and flew back to Australia to help Diana clean up the rubble. Over the next few days, Superman and the Justice League did all they could to sort out the wreckage from Bizarro. Yet the damage done had already cast a shadow stretching over far more than just a loss of life and property. The world was sorting out what they had seen. Two supermen, nearly indistinguishable to the untrained eye, appeared to indiscriminately destroy Metropolis. In the last 24 hours before Election Day, Lex Luthor would take a moment every few minutes to remind the world the Kryptonian invasion was real and that he was the president who could stop it. The images of Superman destroying the city became so pervasive that it was to no one's surprise when Lex decidedly won the election. Another surprise came that evening in the middle of the night, not long after Luther's acceptance speech. An unforecasted blizzard descended upon the East Coast. At its center was Mark Marden, an adversary of the Flash who manipulated atmosphere with his self-made creations. He called himself the Weather Wizard. Clark was surprised to find Weather Wizard in all of his glory causing the atmospheric mayhem. Marden had been apprehended by the Flash years ago and was supposed to be in Ironhide's penitentiary. Having listened to the Weather Wizard's maniacal rants, it seemed to Clark that the Arkham Asylum in Gotham would have been a better place for Marden. His plan was not at all thought through. He considered the storm to be some kind of metaphorical revenge against Luther. He was raining on the proverbial parade as a political protest. It took only minutes for Clark to determine the source of the storm's power and nullify the Weather Wizard's equipment. When Superman attempted to return Marden to Iron Heights, something was off. The sprawling facilities seemed abandoned at first. No life stirred, but there were bodies. The prison guards were not responsive. They were all laying strewn around, staring blankly with eerie smiles stretched across their faces. Clark telepathically reached out to Jean Jones to ask for backup, but before support could arrive for Superman, Jean Jones contacted him, though not about Iron Heights. Instead, it was about Lois, a giant mechanical gorilla was climbing her apartment building. It sounded as though Winslow shot. The toy man had also escaped from prison that evening and was resuming the programming that Hugo Strange had previously hypnotized into him. With no guards available at Iron Heights, Superman found a police officer to take Martin into custody and flew off immediately to once again rescue Lois Lane. Had he realized how fast the robot ape could climb, Clark would have brought the weather wizard along with him instead of taking the extra time to find an officer. By the time Clark got to her apartment, the mechanical beast, maybe three stories tall when standing, had already reached Lois's balcony. The same wall Clark had smashed through earlier in the year was again destroyed by the ape's giant robot hand as it groped through Lois's living room trying to find her. With his supervision, Clark saw the inner workings of the android. At its center, Winslow's shot was its pilot. Scanning over the android, Clark detected the machine's warmest heat source. This would be the battery. One intensive fiery beam from his eyes shut the thing down, trapping the toy man inside of it. When the giant gorilla hand inside of her apartment came to a halt, Lois crawled out from under her coffee table and peered outside through the gaping hole in her wall. Clark was relieved to see her. Are you alright? Lois looked around at the wreckage. I think so, but I'm starting to wonder if I should bother to replace this wall again. Clark landed on Lois's balcony next to the inert metal ape. I'm glad to see your sense of humor is intact. Oh, pay no attention to that. It's just a defense mechanism. I am absolutely traumatized. I was half asleep and got up for a glass of water when I saw a giant monkey out my window. Actually, it's more of an ape than a monkey. Oh, shut up, you doofus. 
It's more of a robot than an ape. I mean, listen to you. You are such a dork. Clark met Lois's jibe with a frown. I can go if you want. I still have to take this ape to Star Labs. As Superman motioned toward the mechanical gorilla, Lois stepped close to him and embraced his arm. Please don't go. Stay. Let's talk. The tender moment was undercut by a sudden spotlight and noise from a passing news helicopter. Lois ducked behind Superman. Or maybe this isn't the place for a chat. Any suggestions where we could go? Clark turned to cover her with his cape. I know just the place, but let's go inside and get you a coat first. And maybe a hat and some mittens. Once she was properly bundled, Clark flew Lois north to the Crystal Palace. He showed her the plush room he and Barry Allen had discovered together. Lois was in absolute awe around every turn. Wow, this is amazing. Seriously, seeing this, I'm starting to question my life choices. I mean, the amount of time Richard spends away, I might as well have stayed with you. This comment stung a bit for Clark, but he tried not to show it. Ha ha, come on, have a seat, pull up a pillow. Clark settled himself down and gave Lois a moment to get comfortable. There. Was there anything in particular you wanted to talk about? Lois melted into the plush room, leaning lightly on Superman. Oh, I don't know if there was anything in particular. I just wanted you to be nearby. Gazing up into his eyes, she nestled into his side. That was pretty scary, and I feel so safe when I'm with you. I wish you could always be Superman. That'd be so wonderful. Lois lightly traced the emblem on his chest as she spoke. She seemed to be slowly drifting off, though Clark was wide awake. How do you mean? Lois yawned and tried to explain her fantasy. Well, you know, you and me, living here together, you could do your hero thing and I could just give up my apartment. Please tell me you have a hot tub. Her eyes began to slowly shut. Actually, I don't know. I just found this room months ago, and things haven't gone so easy since then. Not much time for exploring. Sounds rough. Nothing Superman can't handle, though. Clark didn't feel this kind of encouragement helped. I have my doubts. Lois fell asleep mumbling. Of course you do. You're a total dweeb. Clark lay there all night with Lois at his side, yet felt so alone. Something was missing. He longed for some sense of security inside, but felt hollow. The prisoners of Iron Heights were free. Lex Luthor was going to be president, and Clark could not shake the sense that this was only the beginning of Lex's maniacal schemes. Clark lay there all night with his eyes closed as he tried to imagine Luthor's plans and how he would counter them. Eventually, he felt Lois stir next to him. He turned to meet her expectant eyes. Good morning. Only inches away, she lunged forward and passionately kissed Superman. Rolling over on top of him, she continued her affections, lamenting. I wish we never had to go back. I just want this. Here. Forever with you, Superman. Clark had to fight the urge to kiss her back, barely managing to speak. I think we have a giant monkey we have to move. Lois lay down on his chest and continued to pet him. I do believe it is you who has a giant monkey to move. But why don't I just stay here and you bring back breakfast after you take care of that? Clark had already lain awake all night, feeling anxious. He didn't want to let the morning go by without assessing the prison break with the Justice League. I don't think so. There's a lot to do today. Lois rolled her eyes. 
Oh, here's good old Clark Kent again, lame as always. But Lois changed her tone again and implored. Just stay here with me, like this. Don't go just yet. Her sultry eyes lured Clark closer. A part of him wanted to agree with her. But just as they almost kissed again, Clark blurted out the question he couldn't stop thinking about. Why did you think it was okay to kiss me as Superman while dating me as Clark, but not okay to kiss me when you started dating Richard? Are you jealous, Superman? No, that's not it. I'm just... I don't know. It didn't seem right. Well, you have nothing to be jealous of. It's just, when I was dating you, it didn't seem like cheating, because I was already pretending that I was dating you. You what? I used to fantasize I was dating you and the whole Clark Kent thing was make-believe. You pretended I was make-believe? No, I mean like, yeah, I did, but I knew it was imaginary. I just preferred my imagination, that's all. And now that I hear myself say that out loud, I feel awful. Clark's feelings were hurt, but somehow he felt more sorry for Lois. She seemed disillusioned. It's okay, Lois, but we really need to get going. Ah, uh, really? It seems too early to go anywhere. Well, this far to the north, at this time of year, the sun doesn't rise much higher than this. It's much later in the day than you think, and Toyman's back there inside that robot shell, and I don't think we should leave him waiting all day. Lois looked up at him and sighed. You just can't stop being a dork, Clark Kent, can you? I don't think so. Sorry. Fine, fly me home. We have a giant ape to move. Clark returned Lois's wry smile and flew them both back to Metropolis. Dropping her off at her apartment, he hefted the giant robot gorilla over his head and held it aloft. As he said goodbye to Lois, she suggested that maybe they keep a bit of a distance for a while. It might be better. I need some time. I think I'm still in love with the Superman of my imagination. But don't worry. I'll get over it. Eventually. See you around, farm boy. She turned around and went back inside her demolished home. They both had many busy days ahead to sort out that disastrous night. Lois had to rebuild her apartment wall once more, while Superman had to face a world full of enemies all out for revenge. Clark couldn't shake the feeling that he would have to face it all alone. Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Son of L is written and produced by myself. If you're enjoying this audiobook, please recommend it to friends and write a review. Every new listener means so much to me. Another way to show support is at patreon.com bluefoot. This story was inspired by the Superman and DC comics and characters originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, with additional contributions by Joe Gill, Pat Boyette, 
Bill Finger, John Sakella, William Moulton Marston, Harry G. Peter, Mort Weisinger, George Papp, Dennis O'Neill, Dick Dillon, Bob Kane, Robert Kaninger, Carmine Infantino, Julius Schwartz, Gardner Fox, Gil Kane, Tony Isabella, Trevor Von Eden, John Broom, Otto Binder, Joseph Samuelson, Joe Serta, Grant Morrison, Arnie Jorgensen, Don Cameron, and Ed Debratka. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by Poddington Bear, David Hillowitz, BioUnit, Jody Pitkanen, Vortex, Blue Dot Sessions, Kai Engel, Gorowski, Adralic, BOPD, Luxalove, Johnny Ripper, Phasma, Jack Anderton, Will Bangs, and Jazar. See the episode notes for details. For more of my work, get yourself a deck of Omen Quest cards at omenquestcards.com. It's easy to start a game. And be sure to listen to the next episode, Chapter 20, Orphan of the Light.